Okay, yeah. Thank you so much. I, I um, got a photo this week of one of our Bible schools with 500 um, students in it. Just amazing. Just incredible. Um, God is so faithful um, to, his, to his promises to us, to his promises, to his word. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just phenomenal to be able to serve the Lord and, um, and love his word. I, I was working with Mike yesterday. He was a very happy guy yesterday <laughs> as he labored. He was very proud to tell us that he got engaged yesterday and, and, the, and the, the proposal and everything that happened. And <laughs> All right. Okay, hey, look, Glenn's asked me to talk about Palm Sunday. I'm we- it's a bit too small, but I am wearing the official Palm shirt. I've got palms on there. There you go. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll teach on Palm Sundays, but I'm not too sure how this is actually going to go um, because I've got so much that I want to look at. And I think probably, and, and I do apologize that I didn't have time to do notes. Um, just this week's been crazy. Um, but if you're interested, there are notes. It's called um, God's Plan for Kingdom Rule uh, on our website, awakening.co.nz. Um, anyway, so we're going to talk about the Palm Sunday and the importance of Palm Sunday. And of course, Palm Sunday um, comes from you know, where the week before uh, Jesus uh, went onto the cross, um, he you know, was brought in, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the son of David with palm trees. It's interesting, or well, palm leaves, it's interesting that, that palm leaves means victory with integrity. Victory with integrity. And so when we see this happening, that is so true. There are some things which um, Palm Sunday is immediately followed by that I might get on in in the next session or I might do today in this session here uh, that are really interesting. Uh, So let's just see where we go. So I'm going to actually just pray. Um, because I feel like I need some help today. <laughs> I always need help. But <laughs> Holy Spirit, I just ask for your leading this morning. as I, Lord, as I just try and share your word faithfully as best as I can. And uh, Lord, just lead and, and guide me as I go through this. And Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would be saying just through this message and that amazing day. Uh, just before you died, in Jesus' name. So it comes from, it's in, it's in all the, the Gospels. Um, it comes, I'm looking at Matthew 21, verse 5. Um, or, now when they drew near Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, it's verse 1. Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And all that might be fulfilled in accordance with Psalm 37, verse 11, which says, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, and so that comes from um, uh, that particular passage, sorry, comes from Isaiah 62. 
I believe. Yes, it is. Um, just a bit of double check there. Um, and Isaiah 62, yes, it does. Isaiah 62 is a really interesting passage because it is followed by Isaiah 63, which is one of those really interesting ones where it says something like this, who is this coming out of Bosra, out of Edom, with his garments stained with blood? And it is a messianic prophecy talking about Jesus Christ, yet you know, here he is coming in his victory, stained with the blood of the nations. Wow. That is not the way necessarily that we think of Jesus Christ, unless we have this idea that Jesus' kingdom is earthly and that, as the Jews expected, was that he would rule and reign and uh, that indeed, in accordance with the scripture, he would then go and lead the Jewish people and destroy the Roman Empire, which he did over the next 400 years, but not in the way which they expected him to. They were looking for blood and guts. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on him and said to him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the roads. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before him and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. So Hosanna is not actually the same as hallelujah. It is actually save us. Son of David, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moving, moved saying, who is this? And so the, so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from the from Nazareth of Galilee. So he does this thing and the whole city is moved. Now this is one week before Passover. The population um, during that time swelled many, many times over. Some people say that it could have been up to three million people were in at the Passover at that time, and also, you know, we know that there were uh, 1.19 million Jews killed in 70 CE um, uh, during, the, during the destruction of Jerusalem. That, by the way, in, those, in, in 70 CE and 130 CE, when every stone was pulled away, 45% of the Jewish population worldwide was killed. Okay. So Jesus comes and immediately the next thing that he does after he has had all these great praises, he's prophesied correctly, the whole city is in a stir, is then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. 
So why did Jesus do this after this incredible adulation that the next thing he goes and goes and just, you know, turns the tables over? Is it because he hates money? No, he was supported by a number of very rich businesswomen. He is prophetically saying that I am about to turn over the whole system that drives the law. Because they had to buy doves, they had to purchase the offerings that they would bring for Passover. And so by saying that, he's saying, I'm about to turn over the whole of the system that has been built upon the law. And then he goes and curses a fig tree. He comes up to the fig tree and he says, oh, the fig tree, we'll read it, shall we? So I get it right. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered. And so we learn from this that whatever you, you know, let's read that as well. Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do that, do what has been done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed, which was the Mount of Olives, because there was fig trees on the Mount of Olives, not just olives. Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in my prayer, believing you will receive. Um, I know that there is a testimony of a lady who, you know, spoke to a mountain because it was, I think it was in Hong Kong, you know, be removed. And it was, it was I think it was to do with, you know, her view or something like that. And it was removed because they needed to build it. But I'm not talking about that. I've tried moving mountains and it hasn't worked for me yet. Okay. Um, I don't think that is what Jesus primarily is talking about. It's interesting if you go into Matthew 24, the fig tree blossoms. Unfortunately, the fig tree is not the nation of Israel. The fig tree is only once used in reference to Israel, and that is in Joel when it comes to the destruction of Jerusalem. The fig tree speaks sorry, the nation of Israel is, the fruit is the olive tree, right? If we graft you into the olive tree, Romans says. So the fig tree has nothing to do with Israel. What has it got to do with? Now, I understand that the pictorial pictures of Adam and Eve covering their private parts with a fig tree is poetic license or artistic license. However, the fig tree or the fig leaf is a reference to sin. So when Jesus is adulated on Palm Sunday, 
and everybody's expecting him to be victorious and to bring his kingdom as prophesied in Exodus. I think it's Exodus chapter 12. You shall be a kingdom of priests. He immediately turns over the tables saying, I'm going to turn over the covenant. I'm going to literally later on, we find, destroy that covenant and that mountain of sin I now curse. That's good news. So when we see Jesus in Daniel chapter 11, it talks about how the Ancient of Days, as we, and we did this two years with Peter being the father on the throne, being the Ancient of Days, and um, then Jesus being enthroned next to him. That was prophesied by Daniel and was about to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ, but not the way that, God, that man thought that it would happen. Because the Jews in their minds had that prophecy from Exodus, you will be a kingdom of priests. So here he is having all this adulation and then a week later he's on the cross and Pilate puts on above his head, king of the Jews. And the Jewish leaders argued with him and said to him, no, 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 let this man say, he says that I am the king of the Jews. They then put a crown of thorns on his head. And the purpose of the crown of thorns was to mock his kingship. A week after he is proclaimed king, he is mocked as king of the Jews. A crown has put on his head made of thorns and he dies. Did he die as king? Yes, he did. He died as king of the Jews, but he ascended and 40 days later, was inaugurated as king of kings. King of kings based on not the old covenant that was nailed to the cross and that Jesus uh, was the one who uh, mediated a new covenant. And part of that new covenant is that both Jew and Gentile are now one under a new kingship. Some people try and teach that Jesus will become, and, and you know, somebody was saying this this week to me. Some people try from Africa was try say that. He is going to become king 
in the future. No, no. Jesus became king on the day that he was inaugurated, 40 days, when he ascended on the clouds of heaven. You see, people want to put the kingship that rests on Jesus into the future because they do not feel like a king now. Because if Jesus is king now, then Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 or somewhere around there is true. Jesus says in Revelation 1 verse 6, for you are kings and priests. He doesn't say you will become kings and priests. He says you are kings and priests. So Jesus is here on the Palm Sunday Everybody thinks he is amazing. The whole city, somewhere between one and three million people, are astir. Everybody is really excited about it. But then the next week, he is with a box thorn crown on his head, king of the Jews, dead. For many of us, when we are told that, G, that you, we are kings, a week later, the devil, as was beautifully portrayed in the movie The Passion, is sneaking around in the background, whispering in your ear, you're no king, you're no queen. That crown of thorns that mocked Jesus is also mocking you and saying, you're not really a king. I don't feel like a king. I don't look like a king. I don't act like a king. So how does a king act? A king acts as one who is victorious with integrity. I read this thing recently, um, ambition, without ambition there is no vision. That is very true. The trouble is that, see, there is nothing wrong with ambition. There is everything wrong with selfish ambition. You have a look in the scripture, have a look at the word for selfish ambition in Greek. I think they join the two words together. It is a word that is used of a poor politician. Okay? It is a political term. I can't remember what it is. For the next session, I'll look it up and find out what the word is. It's a very interesting word. So there is nothing wrong with ambition, but there is everything wrong with selfish ambition. So what kind of king should we be? We see this portrayed on, with Jesus coming on the donkey. The donkey was a lowly animal. 
It was not a warrior like a horse that was used for war. It was used for bringing peace between two parties in that Aramaic type, Roman, uh, Greek, Aramaic time. So that teaches us that our victory, our kingship is based on humility. So humility in Greek is the same word for meekness. Blessed is uh, the meek. I think it's plowo. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So our kingship is one of humility. I can't remember whether I've taught you on Leviathan or not, but Job chapter 41, I think it must be the last verse of Job 41, teaches us that Leviathan, who is just simply the dragon, Satan, is king over all who are proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So by being, walking in humility, doors start to open and grace is brought to us. So does humility mean that you need to flagellate yourself with box thorns or whatever? No, it doesn't. Does it mean you have to whip yourself? No, it doesn't. It means none of those things. Because meekness, and I've said this before, meekness means restrained strength. There is nothing that is weak about meekness or humility. When you walk in humility, doors open for you when it relates to the kingdom. So God's plan for kingdom rule was always there, right at the start, before the law. It continued through King Saul, King David, King Solomon, through the kings until Jesus King, son of David. Hosanna to the son of David as King, the Messiah. And now we are all kings. But it is a kingship that has worked on humility. But I want to be really clear here. Humility is not weakness. Humility is restrained strength. There are times when I walk into a country and I just slide in. But there are times when I walk into a country and I walk in as a king and the doors start to open for me. So, for example, after the massacre in Christchurch, I walk into Pakistan and the government provides me with an army guard. 
and protects me with secret service agents. There are times when you walk in humility where God then raises you up. So we're going to finish here. But what I want to get in this morning service is week one, you're declared a king. Week two, you are mocked. And God is not the one who is mocking you. It is the enemy. And you need to rise up out of that. Change the way that you think about yourself. That who you are in God. And allow the enemy to be destroyed by the hand of God. And allow your mind be transformed by the word of God. So I'm just going to ask the musicians to come up. I've got one up already. Thank you. Awesome. And we're just going to play some music or maybe we're going to sing that song, Light a Fire Inside of Me. And allow, if that is what God is tugging on your hearts, to say, God, I want a fire in my heart to transform me. I want that fire in my heart to move from my heart to my brain. Because with the heart, the man, the woman believes. But the mind needs to be transformed into agreement with what is in the heart as we heard this morning, truth sets you free. The mind needs to believe the truth, not just the heart. And that requires changing in the way that we think. So what we're going to do, because what the fire of God does is it shifts things. And what the power of God does is it takes us from one level of glory to another level of glory. One level of glory that says I'm a victim and the truth says that I am a king or a queen to another level of glory where the truth becomes what your mind is actually saying. Sorry, what the scripture says so that your mind believes, not just your heart believes, but your mind believes the truth that you are kings and queens you are not under the law you are under the new covenant where your sins are forgotten where your shame is destroyed where you are no longer a a um, a you're adopted you're a child of God you're a son of God you're not an orphan that's the word that I was looking for you're not an orphan you're part of the family of God. So I'm going to ask you that if you want to, you come on up. There are ministers here who can pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. To see that mocking thing, which might even be your own language that comes out of your mind, that actually mocks yourself and you don't even know it, that tells you you're not worthy. Okay, thank you.